Ladies, gentlemen, and other fellow humans, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Discovery, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by the other members of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Hey! Ty Monaghan. Hello there. And our own secret killing machine, Cicero Holmes. I am the butcher of this bridge. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. <laughs> what? We're going to get dark in this one. In, in several places. Uh, and we I are very pleased. Safe. <laughs> <laughs> We're very pleased to be joined once more by a great debrief friend and our resident Trexpertise cultural archaeologist, Mr. Kyle Sullivan. I, I was told there'd be more horses. I'm very disappointed at the lack of horses. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Which which uh, leads me to a question for you, Kyle, because, you know, as is customary here on Discovery Debrief, we'll do check-ins with our panelists. And it, it is our understanding that you saw Barbie recently. Uh, saw Barbie, so, yes. Yes. Yeah. How how was it? How did uh, how did you assess it? It was for, for a guy who's never picked up a Barbie doll in his entire life. I had a lot of fun. Greta Gerwig is an amazing director. Uh it was legitimately funny, and um, I love Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie, and they can do whatever they want. They're they're fun. It's a fun movie. It is fun. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of existential dread peppered in for good measure, of course, but very good movie. I think we saw it a week, a little over a week ago. You liked it, yeah. It did did uh, everyone in the crowds? You guys watched it in like? There's a couple lines that just worked across the audience, and the Zack Snyder line oh like, yeah that was great killed that, you know that was a great line you know who laughed the hardest at that i think i think i did uh, at least in our <laughs> audience that was because that line. hit me where i live you know yeah. like <laughs> i oh man i have talked over the past decade i've talked far too much about that man and i can't tell you like he did fine work mostly but I can't tell you how glad I am that the next Superman movie doesn't have his name on it, frankly. And I know a lot Ouch. of people might burn me in effigy for that, but that's just so. When when <laughs> that line came out, yes, I found it hilarious <laughs> and still do. So, uh, yeah, uh, excellent. Is is anything else you wanted to add about your? So you you have seen the first half of Barbenheimer. You have not yet seen the second half. I haven't seen the the darker chapter, but I I I, made, I twisted it up and saw Indy Five, which was pretty pretty good. It was surprising, yeah. Yeah. Indiana Jones movie. I was expecting another nuked fridge, but this one, uh, they figured it out. You know, so like if Trek has an even number, uh, film curse where the even number of films are good for a while, Indiana Jones is all about the odd number of films. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, um, James Mangold, uh who made his name, at least the first movie I saw of his was Walk the Line, which I still love. And, uh, of course, two contributions to superhero cinema with The Wolverine, which was okay, and Logan, which I thought was spectacular. He did Logan? So, oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Wait a minute. He did The Wolverine? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he did Logan, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's everyone deserves a second chance, right? <laughs> like that is, that is a redemption story for your ass. Wow. I still get like, whenever I see that movie now, like when he's yanking the claw out more, like it's stuck and he can't, it's, it's like, ah, it's Logan anyway. 
Well, good. Excellent. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, we, I think we all enjoyed it too. Ty, I want to throw it to you because it's been a little while since you've, uh, you've graced us with your presence, but you're back now and we're thrilled to see you. Um, we just wanted to get your thoughts on the prior two episodes of strange new worlds. And if you've, have you watched any other Star Trek movies since the last no, time? No, no, I have not. But that's okay because I have so much to say about these two episodes. But don't worry, I'll keep it brief. And okay. by the way, thank you, Chris, uh, for talking so much about you have done the talking about Zack Snyder for the both of us because I, I've I messed up. I haven't talked about Zack Snyder at all over the past oh, ten years. Oh, no. so thank you for carrying <laughs> the weight for me on that one. Um, <laughs> I did want to say also, uh, I really liked both of the previous episodes uh, of Strange New Worlds. And I also thought uh, y'all did a fantastic job discussing those two episodes of Strange New Worlds on Debrief. Um, and especially, Chris, you just do such a great job uh, guiding everybody through uh, the show and through the conversation. Uh, and it's it's a delight to listen to. Um, for uh, the Lost in Translation episode, which had some pretty significant like TOS crew milestone moments, I think I'm going to claim my place on this panel as the person who just like doesn't care whether the continuity comes together oh. with TOS, and I'm I'm watching it for like such different reasons than than you all are, uh, or maybe not different reasons, right? But I'm looking for different things and the things that pique my interest. Um, you know, I think if we did like a relative chart of like the moments in the show that are most meaningful to us, they would just line up a little bit differently, right? Because um, I understand the significance of the original series and I'm not like bashing it at all, but like as somebody who has gone back and tried to watch it in like the 2020s, like it's a really dated show and it's really hard to get into. And uh, I also talk to people pretty regularly like i i'm i wear star trek pretty on my sleeve on my shirts whatever um a lot of different places thank you um and so i get into conversations with people about it and i kind of try to evangelize the show and not just the show but like kind of the the ethos of star trek and i hear from a lot of people um a, a lot of folks even say like i can't get into any of the old stuff and by that they mean like the berman shows and and i'm like oh yeah have you ever watched the original series and they're like what is that is that like the one from the 60s and so i am gonna like yeah oh man it's too bad this is a podcast because if our listeners could see chris and kyle's faces right now but i'm telling you like there is a critical mass of people who are watching Strange New Worlds on Paramount Plus, and this is their entree into Star Trek. And I think it's important for those people to feel welcome not only by Star Trek, but by this show. And so I am going to uh, proudly claim the mantle of of that person who is not watching for, for how that continuity lines up. Um, the moments when Kirk and Spock and Uhura sit down together at a table are cool for me to see because I know those names are meaningful in the universe. Um, but it's not like a mark your calendar type of thing for me. Right. And so the episode comes together, um, in a little bit different way. And, and I feel almost bad bringing this up in my, uh, pre-show introduction because I can tell, uh, from, just the facial expressions that I see on the screen in front of me that we could easily have spent a whole episode talking about 
just this one topic uh, when it comes to strange new worlds. Uh, so uh, before I talk uh, about those old scientists, any any reactions to that at all? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, oh, go ahead. Kyle, please. No, go ahead, please. I, I was just going to say, like, I think I understand, like, most people don't watch the bad ones, so to speak. And TOS has dated itself. A lot of people, a lot of people haven't seen it. I, of all the Star Trek I've watched, I've seen it the least. So right. I think that's, yeah. I mean, it's probably a good temperature check, to be honest. I, but people who hadn't heard of it, I'm like, really? They don't know that there was a show that was Star Trek, you know, colon nothing, right? Is <laughs> NCC one seven zero one dash Star Trek nothing. without the dash? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dash they, I don't. I can't understand oh. how people are watching the new stuff without because, like, it's so nostalgic, intentionally too much. So, like, how do they how do they not know what the, all the reverence is you about? Can't you can't unknow what you know, Kyle. I've I recently ran into a I guess I guess he would be a an a young millennial who was is a is a Star Trek fan but then but then also said like um I like I I was like oh do you like Star Wars too he's like yeah I tried to watch the you know the original Star Wars movies, but they were they were just so old. Yes, I just had this exact similar conversation. Right. Somebody I, was like, "I can't watch. I've I've never watched Next Generation, right. and I can't even I can't even really sit through the seventy you know the the original right. uh, four, Star, five, and six Star right. Wars movies because they're right. just and, it's it's yeah. not about the themes of the movie. It's it's literally about the pace of like what's happening on the screen. Like right, right. it's about the thing of being used to quicker cuts. Like it's just the uh stylistic thing yeah culturally Uh, we're we're beyond that and and it it is i i had to respect the fact that like that was a thing that was said to me about something (laughs) that was you know like something that was that's that was like meaningful and like universally beloved as far as i was concerned and and you know it was it was sacrosanct, and and like I I just realized like you know I must have said that to someone about something that they loved at some point. Oh yeah, right. Like about some movie from the fifties or the sixties or something that was you know yeah. that was the movie. I don't even know what that was, right? It wasn't you know, it wasn't going with the wind. It wasn't, you know, Wizard of Oz or something like that. <laughs> been, like but, going around breaking hearts about Casablanca or something. Right, right. <laughs> Which is a perfect movie, gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, I'm still upset people are not reading Gilgamesh anymore, man. What right, happened to the classics? Right. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, so it 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 is bizarre, but uh, you know, uh, Father Time is undefeated and uh he 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 is definitely Right in lockstep with whatever the current generation is. <laughs> so are you, sister. You're also undefeated. So this is really going to be an interesting, uh, you know, matchup as the decades roll on here. Right. <laughs> well, I, I just want to chime in with – we actually had a conversation on this show long time ago. It must have been a couple of years ago by now, sort of gauging where the – 
popular consciousness was in relation to Star Trek because back in 2009, when they decided that they were going to create a new feature oriented around the crew of Captain Kirk, uh, it seemed to be like the pre-release, like before they even released a photo of the 2009 uh, film, the original teaser poster was very like retro evocative of TOS. Back, that was back when it was supposed to come out in 2008. And, um, and they chose those characters largely because it seems TOS is more embedded in the public consciousness than the other shows. Like people say, be me up Scotty. They don't, or at least didn't back then necessarily say T Earl gray hot. Right. I think people do now, uh, just as like a, a joke, but <laughs> there's actually someone in our building who has a bumper sticker that says, was it, isn't it Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra? Nice. Yeah. Which nice. I, I, I certainly appreciate, but, um, no, I mean, I see the point. I honestly don't know why I love TOS as much as I do. I was born 20 years, over 20 years after it, it started. And, um, you know, I was a, a small child when the Berman shows were all pretty well at the height of their power and, you know, nineties Trek that went through the end of that decade is Berman. It was TNG centric, but I always just gravitated toward TOS probably because of the movies. But when I actually was able to get into a position to absorb the show, which I have done a lot in the intervening 25 years or so, um, I think that one of the things that keeps bringing me back to it is that yes, it is dated, but it is paradoxically or maybe not paradoxically ahead of its time still in a lot of important ways. Um, and it's the triumvirate of those three core characters that I don't think any other Star Trek show has effectively recreated as well as the original series did. The other shows give service to most of the other characters, unlike TOS. In fact, Rachel went to a, uh, a panel discussion with Walter Koenig at the Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, where he described he and the other supporting players as basically just people who moved furniture around. Ouch. So. And in that respect, I can totally see that. But that core dynamic of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, of the hardcore emotion of the cold logic and the decisive commander in the middle who has to take from both sides and make a final decision, in addition to all of the very well-documented progressive social commentary that that came out of the Vietnam War and a lot of other prevailing, uh, prevailing social issues of the time, I mean, that's what gets this poli kid all revved up about TOS mm-hmm. every time. As long as women can't, can't, you know, captain starships, it's all good. She was crazy. Um, I, that's, that sounds it bad. Count. It, it did, Yes, it does sound bad. It does. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also been, you know, canon has done away with yeah. that too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I don't, and, and my point isn't that TOS is bad or anything like that. Like, you know, I have oh, like, like, a, yeah. like I, I told you like, but at the same time, you have to recognize there's an audience out there that I would assume Paramount Plus wants to appeal to where uh, TOS could have been ahead of its time by as long as these people have been alive that I'm yeah. talking about. And that still puts the show in like the 80s or something like that. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, like a younger audience, it's just not going to resonate in the same way. Uh, there's just not a lot of shows from that time period that do. Um, and to shift gears, uh, much like our 
beloved Strange New Worlds has proven so adept at doing, um, to talk about those old scientists a little bit. Uh, I, I loved the episode. I really like uh, enjoy. I, I enjoy Lower Decks. Uh, I really, really liked uh, Mariner. Um, I, I have a, a close friend of mine, uh, who texted me and said, uh, he was in a play with, uh, Tawny Newsom at DePaul. Uh, and I asked him if he remembered anything notable about her performance. And he was just like, no, I thought the play was bad, but that's, that's all I remember. And I'm sure she was great. Um, I texted him to ask if I had permission to tell that story and, uh, had not received a reply yet. Oops. Uh, so, you know, here we go. Um, but it's very the Kirk only thing of you better to ask forgiveness than permission. <laughs> the only thing I did want to add about the episode actually is is uh partially Kirk related. I thought it was really interesting. Like Boimler is never like, oh, it's cool to see all you guys. Where's Kirk? Right? Like he's excited to see Captain Pike of the Enterprise. Um and I I just thought that was a weird thing for him not to give away almost. Um, and I think the fact that he doesn't immediately jump to Kirk, like, am I like misguided in thinking that, that he shows up on the enterprise and it's like captain, like one of the things he doesn't let slip is like, Hey, like a huge legacy of this ship is going to be like, where is this other guy? Right? Like I see Pike, I see Uhura, I see Spock. I see where you're coming from. I think the thing is that the first person he sees when he wakes up is Captain Pike. That probably helps. But also, too, I mean, we haven't like Boimler has mentioned Kirk a lot in Lower Decks, but in those old scientists, we get something that maybe we don't necessarily get from his perception of Kirk when we realize that, oh, Pike is a guy he dressed up as for Halloween. He seems to have a higher degree of reverence for Pike than he does for Kirk. Not that he doesn't have reverence. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's exactly my point is by doing all these things by lower decks, making Boimler that guy who dresses up as Pike and not as Kirk. And by him, not like they're carving out space for the legacy, like Pike's like, like, sure. I I don't know. Maybe Pike has a much bigger legacy than I have been led to understand at this point. But like, I mean, they they really have a guy who exists mostly in like, exactly, you know, Right, references right. to his past yeah um, yeah so he, and he's he's lionized for being in the you know being a hero and winding up in the beep boop machine That's yeah what. yeah exactly and so <laughs> it's cool to see them carve yeah. out this space where somebody who like you guys talked about in the episode he, boimler is a star trek super fan right like right. he would be a great get to be on this panel if we could get right. him to like calm down right yeah. and like participate <laughs> in it um and so for him to be really excited to be on the enterprise and meeting all these different people and not even be concerned about where is kirk i think says something about like the legacy that they're carving out here for pike and this crew and that leads me to my next thing which is you guys brushed over this because you were sitting laan right you were saying oh laan just did she was being really careful about the not forming relationships thing because she had that that history with the alternate timeline Kirk, you know all that stuff and i think there could totally be something there but why did boy like if you go back and watch the episode i watched it twice like boimler is so weird when he looks at her but he never says anything and he's never overt about it the way he is with number one and I think there's some, it, it doesn't make sense to me that he recognizes everybody on this crew and is excited to see everybody on this crew, but he looks at the head of security and 
he acts like he doesn't know who she is, even though she's got this memorable name that would totally ring a bell to him. Uh, there's something going on there. They're leaving themselves room, I think, to it do something. Sounds like there. some uh, temporal Cold War shenanigans. <laughs> or kid gloves, right? Because clearly La'an is sensitive about her lineage. And maybe he knows that. You know, maybe he knows something about her place he, in history, and he's like, "I better keep my damn mouth shut, or I'm going to piss." Better exhibit unless, tact for the one time in my life. Right. Maybe, yeah, fair, fair. You guys are thinking about this way too much. Have you met? Have you met us before? Yeah, well, come on. <laughs> but it's but the whole premise of the episode is about Star Trek characters fanning over Star Trek characters. Yeah. I, I yeah. You know, like his reaction to all the other characters is significant. Yeah, that's. That, I think that is a great. I think that is a great point. Um, She's going to be removed from history. Well. Yeah, I mean it. It it definitely would not be. It would be a fitting end to Laon's story to wind up someplace with alternate Kirk in Toronto in in the 2020s getting some Dr. Right? Who where, vibes, man. Right. Right. Where they could go hang out they, with Rios. Where, right. Where they don't die. <laughs> where, where he doesn't, he doesn't get shot and doesn't sacrifice himself. And, you know, they get to live happily ever after. Where Kirk is stuck on only one planet. Sounds like it'll work. <laughs> yeah. Javi and I had texted a while ago. Uh, and we came up with, with a, a satisfying end for La'an where, she actually, uh, by 2288, had changed her name to Antonia. Oh, my gosh. There it is. <laughs> there it is. There it is. That, that, that's why people aren't watching Generations anymore. It's because of that. There you go. <laughs> it's too <Yeah>. convoluted. <laughs> Antonia, man. Uh, mm. We don't know anything about her. She could be Lon. All you I know, know is that she's on a horse, which is an extension of masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> But horses, the patriarchy fueled by horses. Yes, <laughs> excellent. Well, Kyle, uh, or I mean Ty, thank you for sharing your perspectives on those episodes. You were missed in those discussions, by the way. But we're glad to have you back here, uh, Rachel. You and I absorbed the second half of Barbenheimer this past weekend. Is there anything Trek you want to bring up, or is that still running through your mind? Um. Yeah, I, you've been texting me about Oppenheimer literally all day. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> so I guess you could say Oppenheimer is a little bit on my mind. Um, yeah, uh, I loved Oppenheimer. I thought it was just a really incredible movie. Um, I, you know, I guess what it has in common with Star Trek to me is that uh, I like stories about people who are good at their jobs doing their jobs. <laughs> which um is uh that's star trek and also oppenheimer um but you know in the case of oppenheimer then the horrible existential crisis Dread, yeah a few more scruples arguably from dr oppenheimer what but <laughs> star trek they don't usually you know yeah create true true yeah, yeah. create horror yeah that's yeah. Well, it's definitely in some way. Oh well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you've watched Star Trek Five, then 
Ty, oh my god, oh my god, that's your next movie. Do drugs, then watch it. (laughs) It's going to be quite a ride. All right, well, anything else? Uh, Cicero, you also saw Oppenheimer pretty recently. Uh, What did you think of it? And what's new in the world? I am uh, 24 hours removed from uh, uh, from 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 completing my Barbie Barbie Heimer. Uh, excursion. I didn't do both at the same time, but yes, I have completed uh, the second leg as well. Well, In I don't IMAX. think you're supposed to do them at the same time. <laughs> no, there's a double feature. There's they have like double features. People are buying tickets back to back. Back was, to back. Yeah, this well, isn't like uh, Wizard of Oz and and Pink Floyd's right, The right. Wall, Pink which Floyd it should simultaneously. Be. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Um, Has anyone but, tried uh, that though? Can we confirm? I'll try. I've, it. I've done it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I've done it. Uh, it's, yeah, it's amazing. Um, but anyway, uh, Oppenheimer was incredible, but I, Chris, I will challenge the, you're, you're saying that there is a more, uh, a, a, a stronger moral compass in Star Trek. Um, there was a lot of moral ambiguity in this particular episode. Yes, that's true. Uh, so, so, um, yeah. So, that, that, you know, maybe, maybe there were some similarities. So much between, so you know, that war is war. My mother-in-law, Rachel's mom, who and Rachel's parents are are saints as far as I'm concerned because they watch as they listen to this show. while we're working. Right, uh, but. Her mom came and dro- when she dropped Esri off one afternoon, it was after that episode had aired, the episode we're about to talk about. She goes, I don't know if I like that Mbenga. He's – it's like, well, he's, he's a complicated man. Yeah. No, no one understands him but his chapel. But his chapel. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, moral! Oh, yeah. Good suggestion, Ty. Yeah, we'll have to do moral ambiguity time. We'll select Star Trek episodes. This one and in the pale moonlight. Right there, you go. Yeah, yeah. I can yeah. hear the mash theme yeah. playing. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> two Vix. Two uh, Vix is another okay. another yeah. good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just what was it the uh, the Vegas convention a few years ago? There was a person wearing a jacket that just literally said "fuck Tuvix" in giant letters on the back. And I was like, why do people feel that strongly about Tuvix? What what did he do? He just wanted to live. He didn't ask to be created. I guess. All right. Well. Yeah. Glad that we had such a vibrant check in with uh, with all of our panelists, but we do have an eventful episode to talk about. So let's move on to our discussion about episode eight of Star Trek Strange New World season two, Under the Cloak of War. So as usual, this episode summary comes from the fine editors over at Wikipedia, but they are very, very thin in terms of character details. I've actually had to bolster this one quite a lot uh to to keep the discussion going so what <laughs> it's just kind of passive aggressive well that's how i feel rachel toss them under the bus chris <laughs> i have any uh, it's not like i'm getting the guy's username and calling him out but anyway 
Let's From what good. I've seen, passive aggressive is kind of the right vibe for like Wikipedia moderation. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I've been on the on the wrong end of Wikipedia administrators in the past. So, oh boy. Anyway, let's begin. The Enterprise hosts Ambassador Dakra, a Klingon general who defected to the Federation and is said to have killed his own officers when he learned that they had ordered attacks on civilians while fighting on the moon of Jagal. Veterans of the Federation Klingon War, including Erica Ortegas, Dr. Mbenga, and Nurse Chapel, are uncomfortable with his presence. So uh, what are your guys' impressions of Dakra, at least at the beginning of this episode? Because it seems like the they, they tried to sort of communicate this idea of a Klingon defector who is arguably like f- very, very forgiving of Federation cultures. Uh, in comparison, he's like making normative comparisons of Federation life to life in the Klingon Empire. And I'm just curious about the vibe that you guys got from Dakra at the beginning of the episode and, and what you thought we might get from him. Uh, Cicero, you want to start us off? Uh, well, first I was like, oh, hey, wait a minute. Isn't that the dude from uh, from uh, Shameless? Yes, it is. It's also the dude from um, the not Star Trek show that I can't remember, the Orville. They, they, uh, they make uh, non-Star Trek shows. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he plays he plays um, the the fake Klingon on uh, on the Orville. Really? So, yeah, I yes, I believe so. Um, if if it is the same actor. I saw that he had had a credit on The Wire, which is a show I've never seen, much to my shame. You've yeah, never seen yeah. the, the greatest American television in history? I haven't. Yeah. The Wire is yeah. good. Yeah, and yeah, I recognize him from The Wire. Okay, yeah. Um, well, in any event. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, but but nonetheless, um, I really, I, I you know, I like, okay, cool, this is, this is interesting. I guess the first thing that that was really intriguing to me was the fact that in the previous in the previous uh, you know previous episodes or whatever we had the uh, the old style Klingons, which were the new style Klingons from the Discovery Discovery style Klingons, which I thought was you know that was great to see um, with the shaved heads. Uh, but then and you know then we get this new Klingon and uh, I like I was, it's really interesting to see where we are uh, between the Klingons that we know from TOS and, and the Klingons that we saw in discovery, you know, post-war, but um, I guess prior to like still ongoing aggression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Rachel, what did you make of Ambassador Dakra? Uh, I felt like he was a con man from the beginning. Okay, yeah. I just got a real sleazy vibe from him, especially since he was being so sort of self-effacing about Klingons and their culture and stuff in a way that I've never seen Klingons Klingon behave. Be like that. It's sketchy. Yeah. Sketchy yeah. behavior. That's kind of how I felt, too. Uh Ty, what did you make of Ambassador Dakro the first time you saw him? 
Yeah, I do agree with that. I, I almost wish she was a, a little more complicated, but I did appreciate the banter amongst the crew where they were kind of, especially the people who were not war veterans, were kind of making the case like, hey, like it, it kind of even if he is a little bit of a sleaze ball, right? Like he's a like somebody who is a Klingon and who is an ambassador for peace and who's making the case for us is a really valuable asset. Um, and so I appreciated that there was some, I always like when you can genuinely see both sides, you know, um, and you're kind of waiting to see where it comes down. And I don't really think that they pulled that off, but I, I appreciated that little added nuance to it. Yeah, definitely. How about you, Kyle? What did you make of ambassador Dakra? Um, I felt that, if he could sell me a Buick, he would, and he would celebrate smugly after the fact. <laughs> you know, like he just seemed proud of his really weird Klingon space. We haven't seen this kind of a Klingon, I guess, at this point in the timeline. I don't we get a couple, so. We we get a couple. Worf's a little bit like not sleazy, but like a little bit divorced from culture, and he seeks it. And Alexander, his son, is like this Klingon stuff is nonsense. And occasionally you bump into a Klingon like that, but this is like for this time period, very unusual. So I was immediately suspicious, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit more like uh weird about it than Kalar was, I think. Yeah. He's like a Mexican. It doesn't like tacos. I don't trust. Yeah. Him. <laughs> uh, well, uh, so I, I have to go back cause uh, Cicero, you mentioned the discovery Klingons and we get to go back to, the battle of the binary stars at the very beginning of this episode, you know, the, the a quasi flashback, you know, last time on to see the, the battle that catalyzed pretty much all of discovery. Um, and that war has come a long way and fans at the time that show started seemed a little incredulous about a wholly unknown major conflict with the Klingons having taken place. But now it's a pretty significant event that's been grandfathered into Canon it's certainly making its presence felt in strange new worlds now with two Klingon centric episodes, relatively Klingon centric episodes. Um, go back in time a little bit for me. What did you think of the Federation Klingon war that was introduced uh, when discovery started and have your feelings on it changed at all since strange new worlds has decided to play with that toy in the toy box? Uh, Cicero. Uh, well, the first thing I want to say is uh, respect on Robert Wisdom's name. Uh, he he isn't the guy that I was thinking of that was on the Orville. So I just want to, oh, okay. um, yeah, I just want to, I just want to take that back. Um, oh, I'm so glad you were the one to make that mistake. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder why. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, it, I love I love when when um, a a franchise can figure out like the spaces in between the canon to make things mean something. Um, one of the great things about um, in uh, Avengers Infinity War was that it made Thor two uh, a movie that was critically panned and and pretty much panned by by fans of the of the franchises um actually mean something and now you have a level of like oh, okay this is okay like maybe i didn't like the movie but it was important because these other things happened and and that is something that we're getting 
getting now with the Klingon war. Um, and, and again, for a lot of people, as to Ty's point, the, there are a bunch of people where this is the, uh, this is the first, like, this is their intro to Trek. So Discovery, Strange the Worlds, um, all of the new, the new Trek is the Trek that they're, they're watching for, for the first time. So this is, this is as much canon to them as anything else is. Maybe even more so, because they know it. Yeah, I mean, if I'm thinking back to the some of the very first conversations we ever had on this show, I think most of our panel were pretty okay with the idea of an additional war having taken place. I think I remember Zaki and I talking about how it just kind of seemed to reinforce the immense amount of animosity that we saw between the Klingons and the Federation in TOS, certainly. Um, so that's kind of how we felt, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh Kyle, what did you, because I don't know if we were, you reviewed Discovery in the, in the first season as it was coming out. Um, and I, I seem to think that you were pretty okay with the way that the show went while it was on. Uh, but when it comes to the war, what did you make of it at the time and how has Strange New Worlds uh, use of it affected your perceptions? Um, I thought it was fine. You know, we don't know anything about this time period. Exactly. So like throw in a war, it's fine. hundred million dead, just a number. Um, but you, you use these things as a base to like create stories. And like, I feel like discovery didn't really play with it. There, there was too, there were too many things going on there. Like we had the mirror universe stuff and the Klingon war. And I felt like we didn't give enough love to the Klingon war storyline. I thought this episode we're talking about today did way, way more than all of discovery did to fill in the gaps and the color and the texture of this as like a, as a story element. This was, this was an episode that was a lot like uh, a DS nine war episode that is probably pretty famous. The one where Nog loses his leg and everything like this had that kind of like seriousness to it. And uh, discovery didn't dive that hard into the, they used, they started it, but didn't really play with it like this. Like it was always in the background for a hot second, but like, the, the the events of what was happening on the ship weren't really connected to it exactly, except right when it started, right? Once the war started, like Discovery went off and did what it needed to do. But the consequences of that getting felt in this episode was like the strongest I've ever seen this evoked. So I think that Strange New Worlds is probably using this to better effect, if I had to say. Mm-hmm. Sure. What do you think about that, Rachel? Just like the use of the war at that time because we were all kind of into discovery season one i think you were uh, probably yeah yeah do you like the way like in comparison with the way the war was used do you agree with kyle that this is giving more substance to it well yeah uh, as kyle was speaking i (laughs) was agreeing with what he was saying so um i don't know that i necessarily thought that beforehand um I don't remember how I felt about the Klingon War. If you're saying we all were fine with it, then maybe I was. You were surprised about Klingons eating people. I remember you being very surprised about that. Because they alluded to the idea that Giorgio's body was consumed by the crew of uh, the sarcophagus. Yeah. um, Yeah, so I... 
I feel like retcons can randomly bother me, so I feel like if anybody had a negative opinion to say, <laughs> it might have been me. Um, because, yeah, like I, I generally don't like retcons, but the idea that there was a Klingon war has like fit okay into my mind as time has gone on. Like It kind of makes sense within all the animosity that there is between Klingons and, and humans, mm-hmm. so it's fine. Um, and yeah, I, I totally agree with Kyle that this, this really added a lot Mm -hmm. of, um, of humanity to, to the war that wasn't in discovery. Sure. And I mean, DS9 sure gave us a look at what a, a Klingon war can be like. So, you know, putting modern television behind it certainly caught my attention, but Ty, my perception, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that going back to the beginning of Discovery goes back to potentially some of your foundations as a as a Star Trek fan. So how do you feel about the way that the war is sort of getting a second look on Strange New Worlds? Yeah, I mean, like TNG was the OG for me. And so like with TNG, it's just kind of like, you know, there's... Uh, at times on easy peace with the Klingons and there used to be a war. And so from that perspective, it's like eh, two wars, three wars, eh, you know, why not four? Uh, you know, like, so there's no like historical, like in canon historical issue for me at all. Um, but I do totally just agree with what Kyle said. Like, I felt like even though the war was, it, it was like they insisted on it being a really pivotal moment in Discovery, but you didn't feel it a whole lot except for mm-hmm. how it touched these individual characters. And it was just kind of like, um, I liked, you know, the first season as well, but it, it was, um, yeah, it just felt like it was part of the setting more so than something that was explored for its own sake and for its impact on the characters. And that was the really striking thing to me about this episode was that you like between the flashbacks on Jagal and the time on the Enterprise, like you actually see the impact, the human impact more in the scenes on the Enterprise. And I, I thought that was a really novel thing um, for Star Trek, uh, you know, They've done a good job with this in ways in the past, but it was just so like the split in the crew between the people who were like, if you weren't there, you don't understand. Like how come they never understand um, was just like really striking and, and it felt new and it felt uh, like really interesting territory for Star Trek to explore. Sure. Well, how do you feel about it in particular coming off of having just absorbed the Dominion War? Because arguably that's the best depicted conflict in the franchise. Um, yeah, I, mean, I was, yeah. Oh, so, sorry. I, I was just saying like, I do kind of I not want like a preponderance of these type of episodes going forward. Right. Like sure. I don't, yeah. I, I think like it, it, not just because it's heavy, but because like, I think war is an interesting thing, like theme for star Trek to explore, but like, you know, struck by, DS9, like people talk about the Dominion War and I've heard about it a lot, but it doesn't really get, go. you know, there's several seasons go by before you know that it's going to be a thing. And the Dominion is just kind of this whispered name. And I really think that was uh, a good move. I think it works well for the show. I think uh, like you guys talked about on Debrief last week, even, even when they are in the midst of the D- Dominion War, um, 
they had whatever 25 episodes a season, but there are times when they, they have room to be light and to go back and do triple stuff. And it's not every episode (laughs) is heavy like this. Um, And so I, I, I think they're going to do a good job with uh, making it clear that this is something that's going to have a lasting impact on the crew um, and how they relate to each other, but it's not something that we need to have like constant flashbacks to. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Cisco is our hero, but who's Cisco's hero? James Tiberius Kirk. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> let's move along with the plot. Uh, so Mbenga and Chapel served at a field hospital on Jagal and witnessed the brutality of the Klingon forces under Dakra's command. Through a series of flashback sequences from just a couple of years earlier, we see the arrival of Chapel on Jagal in between a series of triage transports. She's directly exposed to the horrors of the front, but also the heroism, quick thinking, and determination of Dr. Mbenga. So, uh, Kyle, you already mentioned um, the the episode where Nog loses his leg, which is Siege of AR-558. That's right. Uh, as I was just going to ask, like, does anybody else get, get Siege of AR-558 vibes from these sequences in particular? Because not only did uh, that episode do just such a good job of uh, portraying the the just insanity of being on the front lines of a war, but we also get to see real costs associated with that conflict, most especially with Nog in that episode. But here, you know, we will get into it a little bit later, but we do actually get to spend a little bit of time with some of the soldiers that are just being turned back around to go fight Klingons. Um, <laughs> how much does this one evoke those that kind of episode in particular but also just like the wartime vibe of uh of of science fiction that star trek has reached in the past uh cicero i i think they nailed it um it was it was incredibly well done i i mean i think it was i mean it was clearly better than what it was in ds9 just simply because the budget is bigger, right? The budget sure. is bigger. The effects yeah. are better. Um, you know, all of, all of those things, but, and, and every one of these episodes is essentially a, a 45 minute movie. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so everything that they do there is, is so, so well done. And so uh, professionally shot that it, it, that it surpasses anything that we got in the nineties. So, um, yeah, I think this is the best that this is the best that we've ever seen it in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, Kyle, I guess I'll ask you a slightly different question. Do you feel like this episode and these flashback sequences in particular are descended from some of the depictions of war that we saw uh, in DS9? Descended as in like calling back to or calling back to or just like seeing that as a starting point and taking it forward. I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't clear to me why they wanted to do a war episode. Um, Were they wanting to continue a conversation that happened on DS9? It it wasn't quite clear to me. Uh, But you definitely, like, you know, 10 minutes in, you definitely got the same vibe that you got from a DS9 episode or two. Um, And down to the anachronism. Like, so this is like a hundred and... 20 years or something before or a hundred years before DS9, mm. they're still fighting wars the same way. I, I, it took me a second to get past that. Um, they beam people down to the ground. 
then they 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 stab each other or fight each other or shoot each other just like vietnam which is what it, it felt like and it's what it felt like in ds9 too but like you guys can move at light speed you got photon torpedoes you could just orbital bombardment and move along case in point when mbenga and nurse chapel stick that poor chap in the transporter buffer and i was like that's a brilliant idea just buy more hard drives and then like keep a backup of everybody. And if you get stabbed, just beam the new beam beam back from the copy. It's like a save point. <laughs> Why aren't they doing that in the future? And like once you get past that, you're like, this is it's a continuation of AR588 or whatever that episode was. Mm-hmm. Um and the I'd say probably the darkest episode of uh anything since Discovery started. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, you know, the way that you describe that. In DS9 in particular, and in Voyager and TNG, I think a little bit, they always talked about the horrors of biogenic weapons, you know? I wouldn't mind seeing what set the scare off if that was in the cards at some point, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, conceivably, it could have happened around this time. Who knows? Maybe we'll, uh, we'll get a horror story about biological weapons in the Star Trek mold. Uh, It's not like it's relevant, right? Um, Rachel, yeah. uh, did you feel like this was maybe descended from some of those wartime episodes of DS9, or did you get a different vibe off of it? Mm, yeah, I mean, I wasn't really reminded of the of the DS9 war scenes that much while I was watching it. Um, Is there something you were reminded of? Not really. I, okay. <laughs> I, I was mean, curious. probably, but like, I, I just thought they weren't really staged the same or, and, sure. and things like that. Um, and now that Kyle has mentioned it, I'm actually quite disturbed by uh, the fact that they are doing some sort of hand to hand combat when they, like, it just doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. They have cool um, weapons. Why aren't they using the cool weapons? Yeah. It's just, what's the point of, uh, yeah. Okay. There, there. <laughs> to be fair, there are ways to write around that. There are ways to justify why they're resorting to such close quarters. Sure, I'm sure it, you could. I, I think the point was, you know, for the characters sure, to ha- yeah. have people to be working on. Um, so you know, we can we can make up a story for why. <laughs> yeah. Why why that happened? Um. Yeah, so what was your question? Yeah, you, you answered it. Oh, okay. That's fine. We got it, we got it. Dampening field, tractor beams, no power distribution system on the planet. Boom. Requires close quarters combat. Do you do you guys remember the uh, is it the Last Jedi, the that light speed attack thing, the desperate light speed attack? Moment? maneuver, yes. Wonderful moment in a, in a theater. Uh, there's an Ursula K. Le Guin book uh where two warring powers shoot like light speed missiles at each other and they'll slam into a planet and that's it for the planet you know like sure. that's how they're fighting each other is like at light speed fast and light missiles and you're like why are you guys slinging knives around anyway <laughs> <laughs> fair absolutely fair uh ty what about you just in terms of uh uh, an evocation that this conflict might have brought up. Did it bring up DS9 in your mind? Did it bring up something else? Or were you uh, thinking in a, in different terms? Yeah, this was reminiscent of that DS9 episode for me, actually. And I'm somebody who, uh, 
you know, uh, I like to walk and chew gum at the same time. Sometimes I imbibe with, with my Star Trek. I don't always remember every detail that happens in every episode, but that AR-558 or whatever seat, like, this is, uh, you know, one of a few pretty like indelible moments um, of that show of DS nine. And this did kind of uh, remind me of that a little bit. Um, I did think it was interesting. um, Like this is mostly a show about, you know, like, like Chaplin and Benga's experience and stuff, but to the extent, like we'll talk a little bit about like the one soldier kid guy or whatever, Um, in a bit, but you know, his motivation and what was driving him, I was just pulling up the episode summary of that siege of AR five, five, eight. And there's this great quote from Quark, uh, talking about how, if you take away humans, creature comforts, they're so, they're just as nasty and brutish and everything as, as uh, all these races they claim to be so superior to, or, or species and st- that they claim to be so superior to, um, and I felt like there was an interesting twist in this episode uh, uh, where it seemed to be more about like duty um, and a sense of service and what that can sometimes mean um, in a different way than sort of like exploring like the darkest nature of humanity. Um, and and maybe there's other ways to interpret that. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I just thought it was like a really interesting, like, it, you know, the, the imagery was kind of similar for me, but the themes that they were exploring seemed pretty different. Um, and I thought it was really cool how like there's only one story here. It just shifts around in time. Like the A and B plot are kind of just a thing and then people dealing with the thing, um, which is cool. But they've set up like I found myself just like you're craving these details from Mbenga and Chapel because of the previous episodes of Strange New Worlds where they just like injected themselves with this crazy green, like with ooze and they like went crazy, like spec ops, you know what I mean? And it was cool, like that they left these breadcrumbs for us where it felt like I was getting this context from like a whole other episode that I didn't even know that I was like still, you know, I knew it was coming at some point, but it was just a cool way to kind of layer the episodic thing on and, and make this episode have layers, even though it just dealt with one thing. Character work. We love it. Keep it going. It's a good thing. Uh, well, you know, tell me about that juxtaposition of the scenes aboard the enterprise and the scenes on Jagal. Um, because yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right, Ty, like one feeds into the other. Um, does it impact the way that you perceive the characters to be handling their pasts and their presence? Uh, or what else did you maybe take from that juxtaposition? Keep it going, Kyle. What do you think? Or uh, Ty, I'm sorry. I confuse your guys' names for some reason when I'm- Ty, Kai, it's fine. Ty, that's, I'm going to say Ty weird... at some point. Yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah. Just fair warning. Uh, Anyway, Ty, please continue. Uh, yeah, I, I really liked the moment where uh, I think Benga is headed into the dinner and he bumps into Ortegas, who is like somebody who we know really, you know, like she's got an attitude and she's got a sense of humor, but who, who's pretty unflappable, right? Like she's a fighter pilot, essentially. Um, I know that's not exactly her job flying the Enterprise, but like that's the vibe that she, she gives off, ship. right? And yeah, uh, yeah. And so to see her like in that very human vulnerable moment and like being like, I can't control my emotions right now well enough to walk into that room um, was just like a cool thing to encounter. Um, And it was one of those just like, uh, 
you just love seeing the crew have empathy for each other on this show and they set themselves up for so many great moments to do that. Um, and, and the only other thing, speaking of that dinner, I just thought that was a really, I thought kind of large ask to, I, I thought it was really a shame that nobody felt comfortable speaking up and saying like, captain, we want to be there for you. But like my man here is having like serious emergency room level physical symptoms of PTSD. Like he can't come to the dinner, Chris, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> This is an absolutely fair point. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, what did you, did you like the way that it juxtaposed the past and the present? What, how did you feel about just the structure of that and in telling the story? Oh, I liked it a lot. I thought that it, you know, you see Mbenga like freak out and then you, you know, you know, you're going to get to find out the kind of the story behind that. Um, And so like both of them, set each other up in a way that was that was really nice i thought um yeah all right cicero what did you make of that kind of uh storytelling what did you take away from it well i I think one of the things that i really took away from it was the fact that what or or the reality that uh you can't really understand the the scope of the damage that war has done to an individual right after it happens right those scars those scars aren't immediate those scars actually sometimes take time to actually form um and, and because they're still kind of reliving the, those instances and haven't really fully assessed them yet to to you know to to properly get a grip on that and and i think what we what we were witnessing was the point at which those those characters were just starting to have those realizations and 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 deal with them um but in addition right like here is the tormentor right like i was a slave and my slave master is is in my house and and you know in my commune and the the guy running the commune is like, hey, come sit to sit at dinner with this guy. Um and 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 like it's it's hard, it's hard to really kind of like rationalize how someone could potentially be okay with that. And and you know, we do get we do get a, a better understanding and an explanation, especially from Mbenga later on in the episode. But I I really I loved Ortegas in this episode because of this scene, um, because she she kind of was the id for the version of the audience that lived through and witnessed the Klingon war that we we didn't really witness. Right? We've seen we saw we saw how it started in the Battle of the Binary Stars, and we've seen these flashbacks. And we really haven't seen, you know, like there were there were skirmishes and stuff like that in Discovery, but we didn't see this, right? And and Ortegas is our our kind of our guide into what that was. Like a proxy. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Like exactly right. A proxy for for um for what that was. And and we 
Um, I've really, I've really thought uh, they were effective in in that role. It was, it was super good. Yeah, very well said, uh, Kyle. How about you? Just in terms of the storytelling, how did you gauge this episode's performance by juxtaposing between the past and present? I think that maybe this dinner scene might have been the strongest uh, moment in the episode, mm. the most DS nine that any of the modern tracks have even pretended to be that the dinner scene was so rich with like tension for, across the table was like very Star Trek six. Um, I really dug, this is where you really test how naive Pike is being. So like the, for the Starfleet people that didn't participate in the war, like they're still holding on to this like idealism and it looks really paper thin compared to like Mbenga's like PTSD and trauma and like the the episode's trying to ask that question about you know how do you get back to where pike is and i don't think it gave you a satisfying answer i think it left pike more confused than anybody else cuz mbenga sure as hell knows who he is he's not by the end of this episode we'll talk about it he's not really phased like he understood who he was when he walked in the room he understood who he was when he walked into that dinner and like how I don't know if unflappable is the right word. He's clearly bothered by what's going on, but how in check Mbega kept himself was astonishing. I'm not sure I've seen a character in Star Trek be this particular guy before. And when you see Mbega on the original series, like uh, there's not a hand of any of this. Like, so they took this guy in a wild new direction and like, he is steely and all of that is spilling out on the table. Like you can cut that tinge with a knife and like, all of the stuff that happens the rest of the episode is interesting and fun and whatever. But like I, I got flashbacks to some of the best dramatic moments across Trek uh, in this one scene. And, you know, between this and the last episode and maybe the musical to come, like strange new worlds can, can touch any sort of genre it wants to and do it really well. This is, uh, this was an astonishing moment. Mm hmm. I think. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that we really got from Mbenga and TOS, we we knew that he was tough because he kicked the shit out of Spock, right? Like for his own good. Like that's what he's smacking him around sick bay. So it's like, wow, he's got he must have some tough fists. And <laughs> boy, does he. Yeah. Does he? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, um, let's move along with the plot. So while caring for one of the soldiers named Inman, an Andorian special forces soldier named Trask asks Dr. Mbenga for his personal assistance in assassinating the Klingon leaders and for him to fashion his Protocol 12 battle stimulant. Mbenga refuses, but is mortified when a just-recovered Inman joins Trask for a special operation to take out the Klingon leaders. None of the team survives, and Mbenga responds by preparing for his own field excursion. So we are going to talk more about Mbenga here. <laughs> Um, I think at this point, we were all pretty well aware of Mbenga's history as Space Rambo, but we certainly don't have the full picture of what's happened at this point in the episode. How does this moment serve as a building block for what's to come? And I know that's kind of a weird question because it's like you have to assemble what happened at the end with what happened in the middle. But I think we all knew probably where it was headed. So just tell me how you guys were feeling about him packing up and, and getting ready to, to get things done. Uh, Cicero. Uh, I don't know that I, 
I mean, yeah, we, you know, we saw him on, on, uh, you know, space, space, uh, PCP and, uh, you know, in a couple of episodes ago when he, when he was, you know, kicking ass and taking names, but like, I don't know that I really knew it. I mean, it definitely was like the, uh, revenge action movie trope, right? Like where, where some guy comes in and is like, Hey, we, we need you mechanical, you know, come on back. Right, right, right. Come on back. We, and you know, and the guy's mechanical's like, nah, man, come on. You know, I don't do that anymore. You know, I, I trim flowers. Right? <laughs> so, so like they, they definitely, they definitely got that part, but I don't know that I was expecting the turn that we wound up getting as a result of that. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, but I was, I was digging it. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't see that. I didn't see that ending coming. Okay. All right. Rachel, did you see it coming? Uh, not, I mean, you said we were well aware that he was space Rambo at this point. I was not. Oh, um, I just figured from that episode where he and Chapel Yeah, but shoot they up both the- did it. So this is like, he's- Yeah, but she was like, looking to him. Yeah, Rambo yeah. is a solo guy. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Poor choice of words. I take full response. Anyway, I'm sorry. So, I mean, I, I like, I knew he was a space, you know- fighter guy i yeah. didn't know he was like a super space fighter guy <laughs> <'Cause> like, <Sure>. like uh <laughs> like because he um he's like see now you're typing something in the chat sorry <laughs> about, <laughs> about super space rambo guy yeah so i just like i knew he was a soldier but i didn't know he was like the upper echelon or the very very best um and this has been uh, was really definitely added to his character, but I didn't like Cicero. I didn't necessarily see this coming. Really? So, yeah. I I guess I I don't know. I just I figured that we were going to have a river of blood from from Mbenga at this point. No, nope. nobody mm-hmm. else. Uh, okay. He's a healer. Oh, the surprising thing for me was that. Uh, Ch- Chapel had nothing to do with it, right? Like, okay, right, sure, right. I thought based on the episode that we saw before that that was actually the story that we were going to see was kind of him gradually letting her in to that part of his his world. Hey, baby, um, you want to kill people with me? Yeah, right. I do. <laughs> Let's do it. Space cocaine, right? You know, and her initially being like, "What? No," but like then being like, "What? Yeah, like this is." <laughs> This is how we got to end all this uh, horrible, you know, like kind of making a cost benefit calculation kind of thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I was just thinking of uh, like Mr. Zaz going nuts in Arkham City, being like right. the steel going through the flesh, creating the river of blood from the cut that I make. It. That was. The- I thought that's where it was going. And when you said Mr. Zaz, I thought you meant okay. David Zaslov. Oh, well, close enough. <laughs> now I hear the uh, uh, continuity. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm talking about? It's, now I hear it. This is Kyle's yeah. long con. He's been, it's the uh, long game going. All right. Disciple. <laughs> 
Uh, I'll, I'll just have to come up with another voice for another segment of this show just to keep things moving. Uh, maybe maybe the uh, moral ambiguity time, as, as Ty alluded to before. Well, let's... Uh, Let's move along then. So back in the present aboard the Enterprise, Doc Rod joins the senior staff for dinner in the captain's quarters. The war veterans continue to be uncomfortable, but Doc Rod appears to take a liking to Mbenga. In a sparring session, he invites Mbenga to join his campaign for peace, citing the symbolic power of a partnership between two men who are on opposing sides at Chagall and offers to help Mbenga find healing from the trauma he experienced. We already kind of talked about the dinner, but yeah, I mean, Kyle, you mentioned Star Trek Six. It doesn't seem like any dinners with any Klingon guests go particularly well aboard the Enterprise. I mean, no. we we now have two examples uh, with wildly terrible outcomes in both cases. So it just it doesn't seem great. Um, but I do want to ask you guys: we we would be remiss if we didn't at least invoke uh Ethan Pecks into our conversation. But this is of course in the middle of the relationship that Chapel and Spock are exploring. And Spock seems to be making a real effort to understand Christine's perspectives, but she does not seem at all receptive to letting him into this element of of what she's going through. Uh, what do you guys make of that and just how it impacts their dynamic? Because it does feel like Spock was really trying, but Christine was also quite justified in not wanting to relive those memories again with him. Uh, Kyle, you have shipped Chapel and Spock. So how did how did that scene come across for you? Um, we, it came across believably. Spock doesn't know how to handle humans and Chapel's complicated. PTSD is complicated. Um, and also like, it's really interesting that we've gotten two planted seeds for the demise of this relationship. This one may not flower, but like you could see how Spock might, how they might misunderstand each other in the future. You know, I want French Mm -hmm. toast. What does that mean? It means everything (laughs) Spock. And then she walks out, you know, (laughs) um, but I, I thought it was interesting and I really liked seeing that moment apart. That was a great distraction from the Mbenga thing, you know, and really ties us into chapel because clearly chapel didn't have fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think we can all agree with that. Uh, Ty, what did you make of the conversation between Christine and Spock? Yeah, I thought it was like a really good, they're, they're doing a really good job of showing that like, even though they're dealing with this complicated, he's a Vulcan and he's got this to bring situation, blah, blah, blah. Like, she's also a person and like, it's not like everything is going to just go smooth. You you know what I mean? Like it's not as straightforward as that. Like there's more wrinkles to it. And like, there's always just normal relationship that stuff that's going to come up. And like, in some ways, like Spock was like almost exactly what you would want somebody to do in that situation. Like he kind of offered to be there and was like happy to step back when, but, but like, it's still just uh, things aren't always, as straightforward as like they seem on paper. And I think it's exactly what Cicero was talking about earlier. If she's got these wounds from her experience in the war that I don't know, maybe she's dealt with in some way and maybe she hasn't, but um, she's certainly not ready to talk about it with somebody like Spock yet. Um, And I just, yeah, everybody on this crew just feels very like, 
absurdly competent, but not inhumanly competent because they also just feel so very human. Um, even even Spock, who I guess is not very human, but you you know you get it. Yeah, absolutely. Support the writers. That's good writing. Yeah, support the writers. Uh, what did you make, Rachel, of the sort of disagreement? I guess between Chapel and Spock. Um, I I liked it as it, it for me it was a little bit funny how clinical Spock was being about like his support, like <laughs> like yeah. if, if you need to talk, I'm here, mm. right? <laughs> um, and so for me that was a nice little moment of levity in the episode without being too jokey or funny or, or taking away, but it but it is like a little bit lighter than the rest of it. And um, I really enjoyed that bit of writing. So yes, support writers. It's just a slight little uh, bit that makes me think of data's short lived relationship on the enterprise. In theory, TNG season four. Thank you. Yes. Um, Where data is overly clinical and he has no emotional attachment and Spock has the emotional attachment that That he, suppresses but that episode doesn't age well for me it's like she's dating a vibrator you know (laughs) (laughs) like it's like an ai enabled vibrator or something i'm just like data what are you doing you anyway that's a whole other episode sorry (laughs) self-respect we're i guess we'll have to revisit in theory i watched it recently I, i it aged fine for me Okay. All right. Well, okay. can we do a very special episode? Because there's also the one where the doctor teaches Seven how to like date or whatever yes. on uh, Voyager. That's, right. That's a rough one. We should the talk about doctor that. Doctor teaches Seven. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. It couldn't be Tom Paris, right? It had to be right. the doctor. But he's anyway. describing the whole, you know, <laughs> right sperm and the egg process with like his these big hand gestures it's, it's wild oh, man. anyway um, cicero what did you make of the conversation between nurse chapel and mr spock well yeah i, I want to piggyback off of uh what ty said before where you know she wasn't ready to talk to him about uh how she was feeling and how she was processing those feelings it was very complicated feelings about the war but specifically in that moment, right? The the person who is responsible for the atrocities of that of 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 the worst parts of the war for her was in that room mm-hmm. in that moment, right? And and everyone had to deal with that in different ways. And we don't know how much of how much of that truth she really knows that's something that maybe we'll discover or maybe it's assumed that she already knows Mbenga's past in that way because of the way that they you know the the the, the level of intimacy that they've had that they had or that they showed in in those episodes previously when they were you know when they were jacking up getting you know getting ripped um so um, but but like either way that 
in that particular moment at that time at that dinner was not the time to unpack that for Spock. Sure. For him to be available for her. Uh, it, it just, you know, it just didn't make any sense. Um, so it was, it was easier and, and less complex and, and, you know, and, and just less messy to say, I don't want to talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. leave it, leave it be um, with, with Spock in that particular moment. Yeah. Read the uh, room. Man. I, yeah. Right. Outside, outside of that, uh, I, I do agree with, with Rachel that, that there was some levity there cause they were playing some word game and, and Chapel wasn't paying attention. And he's like, Christine. And, uh, you know, that, like there was so much going on at this dinner. It was like, it was a party where dinner was being served and not a dinner party. Because like they're standing around doing some other things, and you know somebody's playing foosball, and and like there's like people sitting at a table <laughs> eating food while all of these things are happening simultaneously. It was it was pretty uh, pretty wild. Gourmet Pike food, by the yes. way. Yes, right. yeah. yeah. Captain's quarters. Um, you know, talk about the one percent. Um, you know, I know there's, I know there's no, there's no money in, in, in the 23rd and 24th century, but, uh, but geez, rank. The captain, right. There's rank and holy crap, that captain's quarters, it, that's a, like a pleasure barge. Yeah, man. He's got a fireplace, <laughs> a fireplace <laughs> on a starship. <laughs> Maybe there's a lottery for, for lower deck crewmen to be able to go to those kinds of parties right yeah maybe i don't know maybe like rachel your dad told me about when president obama visited boeing how they had a lottery among employees to be like at the ceremony that he presented at or something like that yeah Yeah. maybe something like that i don't know i feel like i live in the captain's quarters no to to go to the party with the dignitary okay yeah, no, not to live. Stow away in the captain's quarters. I thought you were trying to rationalize the inequality. No, it's a chain of command. Quiet, quiet. He's coming. He's coming. How many, how many times did we hear Captain Kirk say, "This is not a democracy"? You know, like there's a chain of command. That's that's what it is. Uh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> so let's move along with the plot. Uh, Mbenga rejects Dakra's offer and eventually reveals that he knows it was Dakra who ordered the attacks on civilians. It was Mbenga who killed the Klingon officers whose deaths Dakra is taking credit for. A fight breaks out and Mbenga kills Dakra with the same dagger with which he killed his officers. Mbenga tells Pike that he did not intend to kill Dakra, but he does not regret it, telling the captain he does not have the luxury to see the best in people as Pike does. Um, and I don't want to guide anybody's thoughts here. This is clearly a scene that I think can be taken in different ways by different people, but I want to know what your reads are on this scene in particular and what it means for Mbenga as a character in the quasi face off that he has with captain Pike, just for the record. Um, I do feel like there is a big distinction between naivete and idealism. I don't think that I would ever describe Christopher Pike as being naive. You know, I feel like he does have a very particular way of trying to embody the ideals of the Federation. I think that's a responsibility he actively takes on. 
Um, and I don't think that means that he is blind to a lot of the suffering that has been inflicted on Federation citizens in particular by members of the Klingon Empire. That being said, Mbenga comes at things from a wholly different perspective where he was exposed to those horrors on the front lines in a way that Captain Pike, at least as far as we know, was very much not. You know, the Enterprise was away during the war, and I think Admiral Cornwell even told him, we wanted you to be the last vestige of the best of us if none of us survive. So... Yeah, I just uh, I don't I don't think Captain Pike is naive. I do think Mbenga is maybe being a little more acrimonious in potentially describing him as such, but Pike not challenging that. I don't think that's him thinking he's right. I think that's him being a captain and not pouring gas on the fire. That's just my read on it. But I would like to know all of your reads on it. Ty, what did you make of of this scene? Yeah, uh, I agree with most of what you said there. I mean, I think the main question is, like, if when Mbenga had said, leave me alone five times at the end, if doc- if if he had been left alone, what would have happened at that point, right? Um, and I think the other element is, like, okay, whether he would have killed the guy or not, like, he's been, he's been living with this secret, um, and he's been... Uh, not to say he's been like living a good life because he's clearly haunted by this and Benga is right. But he's kind of been trying to have it both ways of living a normal life, but knowing that he went and like murdered these three Klingon general guys and like not telling anybody about it and not, you know, not providing any kind of mechanism for the justice system such as it is to, to work, uh, to touch any of these four like Klingon figures at all, you know? Um, and uh, so, but but the the thing about the Pike and Mbenga interaction is like I, I felt like Pike was really from the beginning. He's like, I we've known each other a long time. I would like to think you could tell me, right? And he doesn't at any point go to like I'm I'm your captain, right? Like tell me what happened, like. And he could have easily done that, and I I don't think Mbenga would have even resisted telling him and being forthright with him, right? But Pike almost doesn't want to go. It, it's like he. <laughs> I almost feel like he sees the the kind of the darkness there and he 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 just wishes that it wasn't there, right? And he he wishes he he almost just doesn't want to bring it out into the open and he's just like I would I would hate to fear the worst. Can we just leave it at that sort of, you know, almost. Um but I yeah, I do agree with a lot of what you said Chris of like he's not agreeing that he's naive. He's uh just choosing to diffuse the situation or de-escalate the situation. Sure. Uh, he's not pulling rank you know right yeah absolutely kyle what did you make of this interaction here at the end i think uh i think ty is right i think that um pike backed off intentionally i think he lost that conversation yeah i I like to think of um you know scenes where who's winning who's losing the interaction whatever the interaction is there's a character that's in control and mbenga like he had that room and he was not embarrassed to say what he did. Uh, Pike wanted to keep him on the staff and not have him be prosecuted for murder. By the way, surely there's like a camera in that sick bay. Anyway, um, I, I think, I, I mean, I wouldn't describe Pike as naive, but like it, it just episode painted his idealism as paper thin, you know, compared to 
compared to how Mbenga was feeling, and in this conversation, you could see it in particular, uh, he just wasn't weaponized. His idealism wasn't weaponized enough to deal with whatever was going on with Mbenga. Mbenga turned out to be a complete beast. And I, I, I wonder, it makes me wonder, like, because it feels, because of that, because Pike sort of stepped back, it feels unresolved. And I wonder if this is going to bubble up between them somewhere else. Yeah. 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 I think that that's a very worthy question. And I mean, likelihood seems high that that, that something is going to potentially make them butt heads again. I mean, honestly, like, and, and I know, Oh, invoking TOS again, blah, blah. Chris is doing a Chris thing, but next time we see Mbenga in TOS, he is not the chief medical officer of the enterprise. Is there something that maybe takes him out of that position against his will? I don't know, but I think there's room to explore that potentially if they wanted to. Um, so he's just too much of a badass, I guess. Chris, doing Chris things is why we have you here. So, oh, well, thank you. Yes. I, he's, I Chris, try to- he's Chrising up the place. <laughs> uh cicero what's your take on on that final discussion slash argument between dr mbenga and captain pike well i i think that everyone uh so far has has really done a great job of explaining it all um i do want to point out this this portion as Empathic and as open-minded and as idealistic as uh, Chris, Christopher Pike has, has shown himself to be on Strings and Worlds, there is an, another portion of his character or, or a flaw that he has that was directly displayed in this episode. And it was the fact that he was captaining the Enterprise away from the war. So he wasn't in the war. And there is a reason that there is a a veterans hall and then there's a VFW of veterans of foreign war, right? Because even amongst people that served, there is a distinction between those people who served in peacetime or didn't go off to to foreign soil to 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 fight um and those who did uh because there is a a different mentality there's a different mindset you've seen shit right and and quite frankly respectfully captain pike hasn't seen shit with respect to dr mbenga and you know and that's what i think uh mbenga was speaking to not necessarily um, the idealism or maybe the fact that because he didn't have that, um, he wasn't informed by having the experiences of being in the front lines or or just experiencing the war at all, um, that gives him the ability to... Uh, be idealistic. He has the privilege of being idealistic in a way that doesn't have to fight through 
all of that extra baggage has to tear through those scars. And that was the naivete that, that Mbenga was, was speaking about. And I've got a question for everybody. I know we, we're going to go and, and we've got to talk to Rachel about this too, too but, but um, Chris, you said something and I, I wonder what everybody's feelings on this are. And that is, do you believe that Mbenga murdered him? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, they fought, but they right. But you know, I think Mbenga could have diffused that. I think at the dinner he was shown to be capable of diffusing, and he chose. This was his moment. He's like, "I've I've been wanting to correct this for a hot minute. It gets corrected today, sir," and he corrected it. You know, and if Pike had been a little bit more something, like Mbenga, would be on trial for his life right now. Right, might still be. Right. This this question right. is why the coroner is an elected position in some places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because um, it's open to interpretation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that segues into what I wanted to say, which was that I, I really liked how it was a, like a little bit ambiguous, but I, I noticed that, you know, all of the violence in this episode is very off screen. Like you only see little bits of it. And so when you see that piece of of violence as well, you're like removed from it from beyond, you know, they're behind the sheet or whatever. um, And you can't really see it. And so I just thought that was really interesting how they did that so that we were really focusing on Mbenga reflecting on it, not so much him like doing it. And that like maybe, you know, to him, like the, the, regular Mbenga and the violence are like sort of like separated in some way because we don't actually see him doing it. Um, and so I, I just want to shout out that, that little piece of filmmaking they did there that I thought was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, legally. No, he didn't murder him. Okay. That's your belief. Okay. Just, killed the ambassador of well i mean murder implies it was a homicide like right. murder it's, implies it's pre, premeditation right and so he manslaughtered him yeah i mean like argue well you could arguably say that it's been premeditated for a very long time for like three <laughs> years or something Nobody seems to know about that. but i don't think he necessarily intended when doc rock came into sickbay to kill him in that moment you know, I think that he kept pushing and to, to Kyle's point, you know, it just like it kept going and it kept going and it kept going to the point where he was just ready to to lay everything down and, and, to, and to finish things. So I don't necessarily think that it counted as murder, at least from a legal perspective. And granted, you know, I'm, I'm applying U.S. law in the 21st right. century to, <laughs> to my perceptions of this, which may not necessarily be correct. But um, at the end of the day, did he want him dead? Well, yeah, he said as much. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, like murder, not necessarily in the legal sense, probably. But the ambiguity, I think Rachel is, is hashtag Rachel is right, brings up a very important sort of dividing line because you don't totally see the sequence of events as it plays out. There is a purpose built ambiguity in this scene that 
implies that there could have been an opportunity for him to just be done with it and make it look like it was more of a an accident or altercation than it actually was. Um, but I think that that sense of ambiguity is absolutely what the creators of the show want you to come away with. Like mm-hmm. he was wholly capable. He clearly has no remorse for what happened, but did he actually intend to in that moment? Uh, if he were on trial, that would be a critical question to answer. And I yeah, yeah, that's my that's that is my question. So I I tend to believe that he was acting in self defense is is my headcanon and and that he killed them in the act of self of defending himself. Um but I I could definitely see how there I could see an argument being made that that where you could say that he could have diffused that situation without killing, without killing him. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's interesting to know where people lie in that distinction. Is it worth noting that the, the ambassador, uh, he, he appeared a bit cowardly. Like when it was revealed that yes. he had been, that he had claimed the deaths that he publicly claimed and like just sort of carried on being who he was in this weird position that Klingons probably hate him for taking like that. It it appeared to be a bit cowardly to me. Yeah. Well, and he, and he said as much, he he definitely said as much. Let me ask you guys a question about Mbenga here. Does this recontextualize his, the loss of his daughter? Because like we, we met in Benga in that time period, he was reading to her, keeping her in the transporter buffer. She was she was clearly important. He lets her go. It was a strange episode for me, but like he, there was a remedy. He lets her go, and now we get this guy, and I'm like, how okay is he with death? Like, is he messed up about his daughter? You know, I, I'm I've got way more questions about him after this episode than I've ever had. Yeah, I think that's a really that's good, good point. point. Yeah. I mean. I would think that it's conceivable his doctor, his daughter could have a- acted as like a grounding presence. Like, would he have done this if she were still in the transporter buffer? Hmm. I don't know. Interesting. Well, I mean, conceivably, yes, because he, apparently he was still that dude, right? Like, you know, I don't know. I, his daughter is definitely older than the Klingon Wars. Mm-hmm. Right, the Klingon Wars were mm-hmm. what five years previous to this moment, not even. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like ten so, or eight or something, and she was yeah, she yeah, she's ten, you know, at least or close to it. So uh, having his daughter around probably uh, was important to him, but the. The man and the monster that he that that he was at least internally, you know, it was was still there, and I think would have come out whether she was still stuck in the in the in the buffer or not. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the doctor who uh, 
he's the coldest man. We watched him delete a guy on this episode. Like he yeah. reached over and he pressed right. delete on a human being. <laughs> there was a trolley problem set up and he was just like, bam. Like, <laughs> right. He's like, I don't, I don't F around with trolleys. Delete. Right. Like, yeah. Oh shit, man. Well, what yeah. do you think about that? Do you think uh, that does this give any additional context to like his relationship with his daughter or something else that you take from him, Rachel? No, I mean, I'd have to rewatch the first season knowing what I know and like the Elysian kingdom. If it, but I mean, it fits together for me just fine. I can headcanon it together. Um, and you know, I've watched TNG a bunch and sometimes in those early seasons, you're like, this doesn't jive with the backstory of, of what I know about this person. And I like, you know, people get traits added on to them later a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes they're like, <laughs> Troy likes chocolate. but <laughs> It was a different time. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, so, so things can get a, um, like added on and it's okay with me. It's better than retconning, I guess. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, it probably counts as a degree of retconning. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, All right. So, uh, other question is, is Chapel lying um, in her testimony? Is she lying for Mbega or is she telling the truth? Uh, uh, as she saw it. She probably doesn't know the truth, but she's going to side with Mbenga because she's his ride or die. Right. Yeah. Right. I concur. That's what I interpreted it as. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I, I yeah, I interpreted it the same way. That that um yeah. All right. Well, I guess our cat Daisy's gonna make herself heard on this episode of Debrief. So hi like, Daisy. I hate Klingons. You hear that in the meow? I hate him. <laughs> she, she might be saying that. I don't know. She'll, she'll stab one. Don't let her in. Don't let her. She, she's ornery. I don't know. You know, she used to be so like thin hair wise, and then we got over here, and for some reason, she just went poof. And it's I, all that humidity. I, I don't know. Like she was from Chicago. She was. Right. They found her in a wheel well in like February of 2019 in Chicago, and it's not until she gets here in Washington State that she poofs her hair. I don't know. Who knows? Cats. Ugh, wild. Well, it's um, like the rest of us. We already talked about instances of uh, of comparison with the Dominion War, but uh, I mean, at varying points throughout this conversation, all of us have invoked Deep Space Nine, and yeah, I think it's a fair comparison. This is the most DS Nine like that the franchise has arguably gotten since DS Nine, and that was twenty five years ago that we were in the middle of the Dominion War, so. That's saying a lot, especially considering that like modern Trek has not been shy about going to darker places. You know, we've certainly seen that in discovery. We've seen it in even the shorts to a degree. Um, but there's something that at least to me feels more authentic about this episode. Like it's not dark in the sense that it's bombarding you with horrifying imagery. It's dark in the sense that 
you have these characters struggling with uh, components of their past and how it can allow them to live their lives going forward. Like it's a whole other kind of darkness that uh, we haven't seen a lot of in the modern era, a couple of places, but not quite. uh, I don't think it's quite this expertly applied. Mm -hmm. So I thought this episode was exceptional, um, very solid. And uh, you know, we're going to get a whole other uh, kind of story the next time that, that we get together, which should be fascinating. Oh boy. Um, yeah, I know Kyle's very much looking forward to it cause he's a big fan of Greece. So I know that's what he really wants. <laughs> oh, that's fake news. I have no idea if Kyle likes Greece. I, g- um, I generally don't like musicals, but that was original. Of all the IP to resurrect, you know, oh. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, but um, just final thoughts on, on this episode uh, in the context of what we've seen from strange new worlds so far, uh, Kyle. I think it's great. Uh, I like Dealing with character. I like seeing characters unravel. I like seeing them be tested. The dinner scene is a highlight of the season for me because it's very revealing when you put characters over a fire. And that was an interesting fire. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Cicero. Uh, the writing on the show is incredible. Hashtag support the writers. Uh, who's using hashtags anymore? Um, but... Um, because we there is so much character development that that happens in the course of this show uh and it's only 10 episodes and and you know two ties point from earlier um the dominion war we got a lot of scenes of the dominion war in, in ds9 but that's when you have 25 episodes um in a season to to kind of like really be methodical about uh you know doling out information but um with with 10 episodes you you really have to to move at a brisk pace and i i love the fact that this was our war episode this did this did actually more i think for war within uh the star trek universe than i think discovery did for the klingon war in the in the Star Trek universe, and that war happened during Discovery, um, so so it, it it is kind of remarkable. Uh, but uh, they they keep knocking me out of the park. Uh, Strange New Worlds is is ridiculously it's good. good. Yeah, Rachel, final thoughts on this episode? Well, I think this episode goes with Oppenheimer. Hey. Um. And I think next week's episode is going to go with Barbie. <laughs> yeah. Um, or maybe the the last episode with the it's, Lower Decks crew went with Barbie. We'll see which one is more appropriate. We'll yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like this <laughs> this episode was really of a piece with with Oppenheimer because at the end of it, I was sort of like a little bit like devastated, just sort of thinking <laughs> about things. Yeah. It has that impact. Um, yeah, but it was, I just love how they can do so many different tones and um, that it's, it's just always a good, a good hang. Yeah, absolutely. 
I think clearly the biggest tragedy that comes out of this episode must absolutely be the sad fact that Dr. Mbenga does not have Vic Fontaine to help him get through his trauma. <laughs> clearly that's who he <sighs> so, nice, nice callback, sir. Yeah. Which, I mean, I, no shade. That is a great episode, but, you know, it's just, it's funny when you think about it. That's <laughs> um, oh, Aaron Eisenberg. Man. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, good, good dude. Well, uh, let's move on to a regular occurrence here on Discovery Debrief. It's pedantic continuity time. There it is. <laughs> so it's it's actually relatively short this time, um, and we've talked about some of these. So in addition to previous Strange New Worlds episodes, the episode recap includes clips from the second Star Trek Discovery episode, Battle at the Binary Stars, featuring Chris Co- Obi as Takuvma. I wouldn't mind seeing more of the potential repercussions of Takuvma's ideology, because mm-hmm. I can't imagine that it's totally gone. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Honestly, like the very first time I watched the Vulcan Hello, the the first episode of of Disco that kicked off this entire era of Star Trek, the idea of going with a nationalist Klingon seemed so timely and it still does. And I would like to see if there is more runway there. Conceivably, maybe the Section 31 movie could have something to do with the Klingons, but I mean, who knows if we're even going to be getting that. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what actually happens. But um, this episode builds on Mbenga and Chapel's Klingon War backstory, first introduced in the Broken Circle earlier this season. Several flashbacks are depicted, which feature Chapel's arrival and introduction to Mbenga on the moon of Jagal through their eventual evacuation. While the dates of the Klingon War span from 2256 and 57, the exact date of the events visited in the episode were merely intertitled as having occurred a few years ago. And the vile Mbenga provided himself and Chapel to aid their handily dispatching a number of enemy captors aboard the fake starship in the Broken Circle is revealed to be a substance Mbenga created called Protocol 12. That's the end. That's the end of it. There's not a lot of invocation of previous canon, but this is also not an episode that required it. Uh, it stands kind of on its own two feet, using some very recent franchise history to tell a story that I think we can all agree is pretty compelling. So more of that, please. Um, mm. Anyway, uh, Kyle, thanks again for joining us. What wisdom or updates would you care to leave us with before we dismiss this episode here? Uh, zero wisdom. Z- absolutely. Uh, zero, zero wisdom. Um, uh, I'm plugging away on a, a Kirk essay very slowly. That's it. That's yes. all I'm doing. Breathing air. You're, you're giving it finesse. That's what you're doing. I, I'm a very careful, slow editor and I can't help it. I can't. I only have one speed. That's okay. You're methodical and and we're all the better for it. So you you take as much time as you need. I I know that the product will the final product will be worth the wait. Uh did you ever finish that uh that novel? Yes, I did. Uh and I regret <laughs> regret every page of that. And I haven't read any other uh, Litverse books because the next two books on the chronological list is by the same author. And I'm like, still pissed, you know, like, how dare you, (laughs) ma'am? 
Discovery drastic measures. We're gonna bang the drum. You should just yes. just just go Very to that. Good. Just go to that. I would be fascinated uh, about your take on that one. Um, all right. Well, that is going to do it for episode number 103 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. If you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show wherever you found it. It only takes a minute. Let us know if you wrote one and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on um, – you know, whatever it is, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at DSC Debrief. And feel free to send us questions through that platform or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us next time as we discuss another adventure, uh, and the next one being a very musical one, in the fabled legacy of the name Enterprise. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. Yeah.